0: Good morning again, everyone. It's good to be back with you this morning, and uh, thank you to John and to Scott, who preached the last couple of Sundays, and um, for doing a great job. I appreciate that, and uh, we did have a good time away. Some of you have asked. uh, We kind of did mostly a little tour around Lake Michigan, the family and I, and we... uh, we survived. It was great, and uh, but it really was a wonderful time. So thank you. Um, uh, it is a blessing to be able to get away with uh, just uh, my wife and our four girls. And so uh, I just want you to know uh, how thankful I am that you allow me that time away and uh, to be able to kind of rejuvenate and just to, um, to get to know our family even better and what they are like in a situation uh, far from home. And as you know, um, there are always different dynamics. The good news is um, there was no throwing up on this uh, excursion, unlike our Christmas trip. So that was a blessing. It was a low bar, but somehow we surmounted it. So, uh, and so today we are continuing our look, as you guys have been doing, uh, even in my absence, at the look um, at the letter to the Philippians. And we have about two or three more weeks uh, of doing this. And today we're looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 16. And I invite you to hear these words from Paul. Paul continues by saying, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And to write the same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained." Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we thank you on this morning of promotion. It is a reminder to us that in the last few weeks and in the week to come, as children go back to school and the rhythms of life that you have given to us, whether it's a new season, a new hour, a new year. And we thank you, Lord, that in the midst of these seasons, the repetitive nature of it, that it is a reminder to us. Just as we are called throughout Scripture to be reminded of your love and your grace to be reminded to not forget what you have done for us. So I pray, God, that you would help us here at the beginning of this school year to remember, Lord, not just our subjects, not just our math or science or English, but to remember even more your grace and your love for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, as you know, uh, whenever school begins, um, there's always an abrupt change, right? And, and this year for us, uh, in, in Zionsville at least, having elementary school students, it's been an abrupt change, right? From being on vacation, having fun and sleeping in, to all of a sudden now our elementary school kids uh, waking up at 6.30. They have for the first time their own alarm so that mommy and daddy can keep sleeping, which hasn't happened yet, but that's the hope. But it has been this abrupt change change all of a sudden. And in many ways, it seems to me, we see an abrupt change in this letter to the Philippians. I mean, if you were here last week, or even if you've been here the last few weeks, it's been very much kind of a love letter from Paul, and it seems like there's a change. Uh, uh, Last week, we talked about, um, Scott talked about Epaphroditus and how Paul was sending Epaphroditus to the Philippians, and and Epaphroditus loved the Philippians, and he almost died. And so so Paul says, please, you know, welcome him in with great joy and great honor. And, And then this week even, it begins by saying, finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you is not troublesome to me, and for you it is a safeguard. It's wonderful, calming, soothing words, and then just like this, everything changes. Almost like Paul has this kind of schizophrenic moment. In fact, some commentators would suggest that actually Somehow, this is a letter that's just attached to the original letter. They don't know how it happened, but maybe they said this is exactly what happened because they can't explain this quick change. Because in just one moment, Paul goes from saying rejoice to you dogs. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilators of the flesh. We are the circumcision. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, all of a sudden, it goes from this kind of great feeling and and wonderful things to to this you know, I know that two weeks ago, apparently John Grabiel up here had a gong from what I heard, and he 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 rang it right and and it woke up a baby at least, and he and I laughed that it. it probably woke up an adult or two as well. This is what happens and I see you sleeping. Yeah, we always do. And so I think in many ways, of course, this is the gong, if you will, to the letter to the Philippians. Because all of a sudden, right, he wakes them up, right? You can imagine if you were one of the Philippians and you were kind of listening to this for the first time, that all of a sudden they wondered, did I go to sleep? Did I miss something? What what happened? I mean, mean, all of a sudden Paul was telling us how great we are and how much he loves us. And now he's telling us to beware the mutilators of the flesh. Beware of the dogs. And that we are the circumcised. What exactly is he saying here? But Paul goes on then to say, well, we don't take any joy in the flesh. But if we did, let me tell you something. I would be the best. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I am an Israelite born of Israelites. I am a Benjaminite. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous. And then he says, but I want you to know that compared to Christ, all of those things are rubbish. Which really isn't quite strong enough. In fact, the King James Version probably gets this a little bit better. Where it says that all these things are dung, which is just a proper way to say poop. It's a barnyard terminology, right? And there's so much passion and energy in this part of the letter. I was thinking about this just because this is how my mind works. And I was thinking that if, you know, if Paul was texting this today, you know, and if he had texted all of this out, that he would have ended it you know, with this emoji right here. And then if the adults had been in the room and they were texting it, they would have have texted one another this emoji. And then, of course, if there were teenagers there, they would have been texting this emoji. If you don't know that one, it's just chocolate ice cream. So, but the point is that Paul was trying to get their attention. And my guess is he did. And the question is, right? I mean, one of the things you could think is, why is Paul so angry? And why does he get up on these soapboxes? And, 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 and what's going on exactly here? And you could kind of miss the point that Paul does all of this because he is madly in love with the Philippians. And he is scared to death for them. I was reminded of this uh, on our on our recent trip. I don't remember where we were. Maybe it was Wisconsin. I can't remember. I just know that I had a couple things in my hand, and I was standing beside the van, and all of a sudden, our little two-year-old Liesel, she begins running out into the parking lot, right? And so I, of course, quickly, you know, dropped what it was. I ran over there. I grabbed her, and I talked to her with holy anger. And the reason why I was so passionate in what I said to her is because of the fact that I cannot imagine living life without her. I love her so much that I want nothing bad to happen to her. And so I say it with passion and energy in the same way that Paul is speaking to them, hoping to wake them up with passion and energy because he loves them too much to be swept aside by a people who are saying That you have to be circumcised in order to really have salvation. That's really what's going on here. Now, we don't know actually whether or not there are those particular parts, those particular Christians who are saying this in philippi at the time we know they were in galatia because paul talks about it in galatians and paul's talked about it quite a bit and it's always a little weird for us quite frankly uh, um, you know honestly whenever you're in a public setting you know and you talk about circumcision it, it makes you kind of think you know Yeah, that. So, and that's the last emoji for the day. But I I just got very excited about the emojis. But it's always a little bit awkward, right? But what's important for us to know is not why that was helpful. What's important, as commentators point out, is that basically what's happening is that people are saying that you have to add one thing plus Jesus in order to be saved. That it that it's Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus anything else in order for you to be forgiven, in order for you to be made whole with God. And so Paul says, no, again and again and again, he says how strongly that any time you add anything and say that anything else is necessary in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, that that thing is manure, to put it politely. That it is not a part of it, and Paul wants them to understand it. Now, most of us, of course, we don't do the circumcision thing. We don't think that it has to take, you know, Jesus plus circumcision, but we add things, right? As I've said before, growing up in the Pentecostal world, oftentimes for me, it was Jesus plus circumcision. Speaking in tongues, right? And I had to speak in tongues. And if I didn't, then I didn't know for sure that I was saved. And I certainly knew that I was at least somewhat sub-Christian, right? I may be on my way, but I hadn't actually achieved it yet. There are others, of course, for whom it is a particular ritual that they were taught growing up. I have to do this particular ritual. For others, maybe, you had to go to a particular pastor or priest or something like that. For others, there are certain rules that they think that they have to do. And if they do those things, then they're going to be forgiven. Then everything is going to be okay. And Paul says, no, never. It is never Jesus plus Jesus anything else. It is only Jesus. And the reason why, think about this, is if you say it's Jesus and what he has done for us and his grace plus anything else, it is offensive to the gospel. Because what you're saying is what Jesus did was not quite enough. Right. Okay, it was great that he came down, that he, that he walked the earth, that he died for us and was raised again. That's fine, but I need to do a little something else. Something else needs to happen, and it is offensive. Anything, hear me, anything added to what Jesus has done in order for us to have salvation is offensive and is poop. Fred Craddock tells a story about these missionaries in China. This was shortly after the communists had taken over back in the 20, early 20th century. and The police came one day to this missionary family, and they said to the parents, you know what, You're, you, you have two hours, and then we're kicking you out of the country. So you have two hours, and you can get 200 pounds worth of stuff to take with you. That's it, no more, just 200 pounds, and we'll be back in two hours. And so if you can imagine, right, some of you maybe you're thinking right now, what would I do? What would I take with me, you know, for 200 pounds? And so they, of course, the you know, the, the, they, they they argued over this. They bickered over it, you know. What are you going to do where well, there was a vase that was kind of a family heirloom? So you got to take that. There was a, a typewriter they had just gotten, and and, and and they really thought they could use it. But, of course, you know, those are kind of heavy. There were books. You know, all of these things, right? For us, there would probably be pictures. Who knows what, right? And so they figured it out, and they had to scale, right? And they just kept kind of weighing it, right? And all of a sudden, two hours later, the authorities come and say, okay, are you ready? Yes. Do you have all of your stuff? Yes. Is it 200 pounds? On the dot, they said. Great. Did you weigh your children? And in that moment, everything else, the typewriter, the vase, the books, those were all trash, compared to the value of their children. This is what Jesus, or this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that anything compared to the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the gospel, everything else is trash compared to that. And why is it why is it that we struggle so much with this? This is something that we talk about. I talk about it with some regularity. And the reason why is because of the fact that it's hard to read the Scripture, especially Paul, and not come upon it. Right? Again and again, Paul talks about the importance of it being Christ alone. Sometimes I think it's because we don't, we, we don't like to feel like moochers, right? We don't like to feel like, you know, that we're just kind of, you know, using somebody else all the time, right? It's, a, it's the same reason why when you go over to someone's house and they invite you over, you always want to bring something, right? We have to bring something so that we don't feel guilty, right? So that we don't feel bad, right? I don't really usually feel like that. But others, from what I hear, they do, right? And so you, you bring something because you don't want to feel like you're mooching off of God. Others of us, we still feel this guilt, right? And so we want to do something because it feels like if we, if we bring something or if we do something, it helps to relieve our guilt just a, just a little bit, right? There's lots of different reasons, right? Sometimes it's just because we can't imagine that it's a really free gift. And sometimes it's just because grace is so kind of, It's kind of ambiguous. It's invisible. And we like something visible like a rule or like a cutting of the flesh or something else for helps to help us. And I also think that after kind of years of kind of being a pastor, knowing myself and having listened to many others, one thing I know is that the vast majority of followers of Jesus always feel a little bit insecure about their own I have talked to people who have been 12 years old, but I have also even talked to, perhaps especially people in their 70s or 80s or 90s after a lifelong journey, who always wonder have I done enough? Is this is this enough? Is there is there more that I should have done? Could I have could I have done more? There's a certain amount of vulnerability that most of us, if we're honest, have when it comes to our own spiritual journey, and we always wonder, well, we're not quite good enough, and we should probably do a little bit more. And even though we would never say that, and even though we would say, oh no, it's just it's grace alone. We know we know that God's forgiven us. The reality is the feeling isn't always there, and we yearn for something perhaps more tangible to hold. Onto. Which I think is why Paul is so vehement in this passage. Because one of the things that Paul knows is that if there is something or someone who can make you question your faith and question whether or not it's really grace alone, perhaps more than anything else, it is a fellow. Christian or another church. Paul, perhaps these circumcised Christians, perhaps they have the greatest of intentions. But what he knows is that it's hard for us to really embrace grace alone. And he has seen in his own experience, just like I have seen in my own experiences and I have seen in others' experiences, just how easy it is for others to make us question whether or not grace alone is really all that is required. Paul says, you dogs, you mutilators of the flesh, because he knows that we are particularly vulnerable to others who might question our faith. We all know there are people and there are churches for whom, quite frankly, have this sense of we have the inside track. And more than likely, you are probably missing out on something. You're not quite there. You're real close, but we think that you just need a little bit more and then you will be there. And it feeds off of our own insecurities. Now, I know that sounds kind of weird because usually whenever we talk about the community of faith and other Christians and other churches, we say, oh, they're, it's good. They encourage us. They challenge us even. and They're helpful for the journey. And all of that is abundantly true. But it is also true that we are really good at making one another question whether or not it's really just grace. This is somewhat fresh to me because I'll be completely honest with you. Not long ago, I heard about somebody saying something about one of our programs and how one of our programs here at ZBC was not quite Christian-y enough. It wasn't just quite churchy enough. And I was lit. I was angry. I'm not going to lie to you. I was thinking at that very moment, you dog, you mutilator of the flesh. I was that. How dare you say anything to one of our Christian brothers and sisters here at ZPC? Now, I'm glad I didn't. Because what I also know is that if there are a particular set of people who are especially good at making you question whether or not it's grace alone, it is pastors. Pastors are actually quite good at making people question whether or not it is grace alone. Right? I've heard it. And my guess is that I have done things to say it at times. That if perhaps you just do a little bit more, you work a little bit harder, you give a little bit more money, you, 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 you do tongue, you say tongues a little bit more, you are a little bit more social justice oriented, you're a little less social justice oriented, you do just a little bit more, you do this or you do that. If you would do those things, then, then everything would be okay. Then you would be saved. Then you would be made whole. And in the midst of that, what I was thinking is I could hear Paul say to me, you dog, you mutilator of the flesh. And what I know is this. I do not want to add manure to the beauty of God's grace. And I also know that we should not add manure to anybody else's understanding of God's grace either. But let me be clear. You see, what Paul thinks, what Paul believes, is that when we allow our grace to flourish, that when we allow ourselves to be built on the foundation only of grace and grace alone, that in so doing are we then able to run towards the prize in an even faster and more enduring way. You see, because when you take off those shackles of, those, of that guilt and those rules and those regulations, you are able to run with more speed. This is exactly why Paul puts this part right after, right after where he says it's salvation that is Jesus and nothing else. He says, no longer need you be encumbered by all of those other things. He says, run towards the prize of the of the heavenly calling. And what is the prize of the heavenly calling? The prize of the heavenly calling, it seems to me, is what we see in verses 7 through 12. You can go back on your own time and look at it, but it, it uses the word Christ or a pronoun for Christ about 10 or 15 times, it is to grow more and more like Jesus. That what we can now do when we are not encumbered by the chains of guilt or rules or regulations to say that we are saved, is this, that we can then run towards Jesus even more quickly, with more speed and with more joy, to become more and more like him. It makes a big difference, I want you to know, whether you are running this journey encumbered by guilt or whether or not you are running this journey out of joy for what God has done for you. As many of you know, um, we are, me and, um, I don't know, I think we have about 50 or more folks now who have signed up to do the monumental uh, marathon and half marathon some of you still need to sign up. And, uh, and so we are, we're, we're doing this in order to help to bring clean water to Africa. And, and so I was thinking about this, that over the last quarter century or so, I have run a quite a few kind of long distance uh, runs. And what I know as well is that I have done it at varying weights. Right? So I'm about six feet, and I, uh, I, I've done it at, you know, I've run when I'm 180 pounds, and I've run when I'm 210 pounds. And I want you to know, it may surprise you, there is a difference. Right? When I, when I ran, and this is when I was in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and I, uh, it was all muscle, I'm sure, uh, and, uh, and I was running then, right? I mean, I felt every donut I had ever eaten. You know, every motion was jarring. Every step was more like a shuffle, right? It took like an eternity to run a mile. And then I remember running at 180, right? It was a great day. Uh, and, and when I ran at 180, right, I can remember, right, the sense of you're just kind of light, right? For me, at least, at that weight. I mean, there was just a there was a little bit of an ease, and there was almost a little bit of a joy. It made a massive difference, those 30 pounds. And I think in many ways, this is the difference, if you will, between running, where you feel like I am running in order to relieve my guilt, in order to be saved, versus the starting line has already begun, and now I'm getting to run with joy because of the fact that I've already been saved. I'm already made whole, and now I get to run towards Jesus. Now, does that still mean that you're going to have to suffer at times and sacrifice? Absolutely. Will you have to change? Of course we're going to have to change. Most of us do not look like Jesus. Does it mean that we're going to have to do more and more to try to to be reconciled and to be a witness of God's love and grace? Absolutely. I, I The incidents of yesterday were nothing in Charlottesville, Virginia, were nothing but an absolute reminder again and again of how far we continue to have to go. But I want you to know that if we are going to be able to do anything when it comes to racial reconciliation, it can't be because we're trying to do it to relieve our guilt. And it can't be that we're trying to do it because we just think, well, this is what we have to do. And oh, I don't really want to do this, but I have to. It will come when we've reached a place where we say we are loved, we have been loved by God, and we need to share that, which means that we need to go across any boundary. I don't care what it is, any boundary. And that's not going to happen. I know I know say this kind of stuff all the time, but it's not going to happen by just posting something on Facebook, and it's not even going to happen just by kind of protesting. It's going to happen as we take those steps to to, to connect and to make relationships and to be in relationships, right? This is why on September 26th, if you're curious, it's a Tuesday. We're going to have a culture awareness training, right? Which is kind of the first step. It feels like, oh, what's that? This is lame. No, it is the first step to being in relationship with people who are different than you, right? And we are trying to ramp up. We will slowly continue to ramp up. Our ministry five or six miles south of here uh, was straight up, right, which deals oftentimes with people uh, with, with African Americans. Why? Because we have to do that. A church who is just resting on grace does not mean that they can rest on their laurels. It means that they get to engage in Jesus' work with joy and passion and free of guilt but convinced that we need to make this world more and more like Jesus and his kingdom. And that includes our willingness to go across boundaries, whatever they may be. Because you can jump a boundary much more easily when you're 180 pounds than when you're 210. But it will take focus. This is a question of endurance. It takes focus and endurance to tell, to say to one another that we will not slap manure on one another's grace and to not put it on ourselves. It takes focus and determination and not being distracted. And so we will keep saying here that it is salvation plus nothing, that it is Jesus plus nothing. We run the race with determination. As I was thinking about that, I was reading something about the race for Uh, to be at the four-minute mile. and um, That's not something that I'm going to try and do, I don't think. But it was a race between John Lundy and Roger Bannister. And maybe you know the story. They were running around the track, and Lundy had been ahead all uh, the whole race. And then they came around the final bend, the final turn for the mile. And Lundy looks back to see where Bannister is. Here's a picture of it. Lundy's on the left. He's looking back to see where Bannister is on the left. And Bannister passes him on the right. He took his eye off of the goal, off of the prize, and because that, he lost the race. And I think that what Jesus and what Paul is saying here is rid yourselves of thinking that you can do anything to achieve salvation or holiness and then run. Run toward the prize of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. You cannot run quickly in a field of manure, nor can you run quickly when you are trying to throw manure at others. We run quickly. In this race of faith, when we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we have been saved by the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ alone. Know that you are forgiven. Know that you can receive that love. And then run. Run toward the prize of becoming more and more like Jesus. Press on toward the goal for yourself, for this church, for the community, and for our world. May it be so. Amen. And let's pray.